Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.16 a.m. The 18th of October 2019. This is Bitcoin and episode number 152. Let's start with the Electrum Wallet announcement. Uh, They tweeted out a few days ago, the next release of Electrum will support Lightning payments. Our Lightning node implementation has been merged into Electrum's master branch. So this is cool, man. Lightning integration is happening all over the place, and we have some more more of that later on in the show. This was just the, uh, the, uh, the tweet that they made a few days ago. Another tweet that was made yesterday, as far as I can tell, was from a Hotep Jesus. That's right, Hotep Jesus. I've seen him around every once in a while, but truthfully, man, I haven't seen Jack out of Hotep Jesus in a long time. And all of a sudden, he wants to do a BTC versus BSV debate. And if you haven't seen this... Well, it's yet another debate. Apparently, Bitcoin is debate. That's what Bitcoin is. It's not not a way to get out of this shit. It's not a way to, you know, take some sovereignty back. No, no, no. Bitcoin is apparently a debate. So, okay, so what what's going on? Well, he a couple of, I guess a couple of days ago he started saying that he wanted to do this debate and started asking people to submit you know uh people on Twitter you know to uh, link you know I don't know retweet the thing or 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 add people's Twitter handles who they think could do it so they he finally apparently settled after 24 hours or so on Peter McCormick and Shinobi otherwise known as Brian Trolls on Twitter for Team BTC, and two people I've never heard of before, Connor and Kurt Wuckert, Kurt Wuckert, I guess, Jr., something like that. Out of all the time that I've been in this space, I've never heard of either one of these guys, probably, which is probably good because it means that I'm not following shit coinery, but they're going to be for Team BSV. This is apparently going on tonight. At 7 p.m., and that looks like it's going to be Eastern Time. Uh, I am in Central Daylight Time. Yeah, let's see. Oh, nope, nope, nope. I'm sorry. It is actually going to be at 6 p.m. today. And I guess I'm looking at the YouTube link that he's put into that particular tweet. And when my YouTube comes up, and it, it it's saying 6 p.m. today. So... If you haven't seen the tweet, it's gonna it's in my um, it's in my curated Twitter timeline, which you can always get to by going to the show notes and look for my curated Twitter timeline, and it will be there in uh, the listings, uh, all the tweets that I'm put, putting up for today's show, which is how I build the show. Okay, so there's the community stuff. Let's get into the news, man. Fake Tor browser steals Bitcoin from Darknet users warns ESET. This is Helen Parts writing for Cointelegraph this morning. Major antivirus software supplier ESET has discovered a trojanized Tor browser designed to steal Bitcoin, BTC, from buyers in the dark net. Targeting users in Russia, the fake Tor browser was distributed via two websites and has been stealing crypto from darknet shoppers by swapping the original crypto addresses since 2017. ESET's editorial division, We Live Security, reported October the 18th. Created back in 2014, the two fake Tor browser websites, Tor 
hyphenbrowser.org and torproject.org are mimicking the real website of the anonymous browser, torproject.org. Now, okay, okay, this is me talking. It's tor-browser.org and torproect.org. They've dropped the J out of torproject.org. And so it actually reads Tor Proect. Okay, so be careful, guys. According to the continuing, according to the Slovakian software security firm, these websites display a message that users have an outdated version of Tor Browser, even if they have the most up to date Tor Browser version, offering to download the fake version containing malware. According to the firm, the newly discovered malware has been distributed for Windows. While there are no signs that the same websites have distributed Linux, Macs, OS, or mobile versions, after the installation, the malicious Tor browser automatically swaps users' crypto addresses to the address controlled by criminals. According to ESET, the total amount of received funds for all three wallets allegedly involved in the campaign accounted for 4.8 Bitcoin so far. One of the reported wallets contained 2.66 BTC at press time with the latest transaction in September of 2019. In addition to Bitcoin, the campaign has also been stealing money by altering QIWI wallets, the firm said. In early October, ESET flagged another form of malware stealing crypto from users called Casbanero or Metamorpho. The banking Trojan targets banks and crypto services located in Brazil and Mexico and has allegedly stolen 1.2 BTC to date. Meanwhile, Tor browser users have already been warned about potential money losses due to secure breaches, security breaches in mid-September. Finnish peer-to-peer crypto exchange local bitcoins warned Tor users about the risk of using Tor browser, claiming that Tor browser exposes them to the risks of having their bitcoin stolen. I don't know if they're specifically talking, if the uh, local Bitcoins is, that warning was coming specifically because of this. Uh, Most people went, uh, took a collective dump when uh, local Bitcoins said that. And uh, uh, admittedly, I did too. I was like, I don't know what they're doing. If they're referring to this, then okay, I get it. But if they're not, then I don't know. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm not going to be able to edit that out because today is going to be, I got to really bust this one out because I got a parent-teacher conference uh, for my daughter uh, here coming up. So anyway, y'all be careful out there. I'm serious. Be really careful with your Bitcoin. The good news is it, you know, it's been in operation for that long and I guess maybe they're sweeping wallets. I'd like to actually see a, a full analysis on exactly, you know, how many wallets they've, they've cycled through. But in, in, in this particular case, nobody's been duped since September. So that's, I don't know, that seems good, but you know, if you have your Bitcoin stolen, that's just going to suck. So be, again, be careful out there. Helen Parts is also writing for Cointelegraph as of October the 16th <clears throat> that Bitcoin is totally different from Libra. Calibra head David Marcus says. David Marcus, the head of Facebook's forthcoming cryptocurrency wallet Calibra, said that he is a fan of Bitcoin, BTC, but it is totally different to the proposed Libra stablecoin. In a Squawk Box interview on October the 16th, Marcus stated that he has begun looking at Bitcoin since 2012, or he began looking at Bitcoin since 2012 and considers it to be akin to digital gold. When asked by Squawk Squawk Box co-host Joe Kernan if he owns any Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, Marcus did not answer directly, but noted that he was an early fan of the major cryptocurrency. He said, quote, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. What I see is digital gold and totally different Libra, end quote. While treating Bitcoin as digital gold, Marcus stressed that the Libra project is seeking to create a non-volatile and scalable cryptocurrency rather than provide services for a high volatile asset such as Bitcoin. He explained, quote, if there was a stable, low volatility, scalable version of Bitcoin, God, what an ass, that we could use today, my life would be so much simpler. We could just focus on embedding that in the Calibra wallet. It's hard to continue with this. But this is where your shit coinery is going, and you guys need to know. 
In the interview, the CNBC host, who is known for his Bitcoin maximalism, asked about Libra's backing, which will supposedly consist of a basket of major fiat currencies such as the dollar, euro, yen, pound, and the Singapore dollar. Specifically, Kernan stated that Libra's planned peg to fiat currencies may not be a good idea as such currencies are vulnerable to devaluation. Marcus's statements follow those of U.S. Representative Warren Davidson, who said that Facebook using Calibra would be a way. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. I think there was a, a typo here. Would be a way better idea than creating a new asset. Yeah, this this is a typo. It probably should read Marcus's statements follow those of the United States Representative Warren Davidson, who said that Facebook using Bitcoin would be a way better idea than creating a new asset. And that would be the actual (laughs) factual case. Uh, The other thing about these uh, peg to uh, all this pegging to fiat currencies, not only devalue, you know, not only is shit devalued, but they are also uh, relatively volatile. And I guess they're betting that the volatility will, will equal itself out as one part of the basket drops while, you know, another part of the basket rises. But in the end, all all fiat is is just your trust that your government isn't going to do boneheaded maneuvers like, oh, I don't know, put Venezuela on the UN's uh, Council for Humanitarian shit. Yeah, that happened. Not going to talk about it, but that did happen. So if they're able, you know, able to do those kind of boneheaded maneuvers, much less the massive devaluation of the Venezuelan uh, currency, um, then yeah, I would I, I I'd probably stay away from it. Okay, so state-owned French bank joins Bitcoin startups eight million dollar Series A. This is Lee, uh, sorry Lee Quinn writing for CoinDesk. This was uh, off of October the 8th. Um, So it's a little old, but, you know, we might as well go ahead and and take a look at it. We're convinced that Bitcoin is becoming more and more obvious. That's a direct quote. That's not typically what one might expect to hear from a veteran banker, banker at a public institution. But Veronique Jacques of the partially state owned French investment bank B. BPI France told CoinDesk Bitcoin is becoming a staple of the global economy. That's why BPI France has just made its first investment in a crypto startup because the bank wants to play an active role in building Bitcoin's infrastructure. The lightning-focused startup Async raised an $8 million Series A led by Invest Partners with the participation of Serena and BPI France. Invest Partners Managing Director Nicholas DeBock told Coindesk this round was also his firm's first investment in a Bitcoin company. Quote, as we continue to look at Bitcoin companies, we think that second layer opportunities are a big one. And it's definitely something we'll be looking into more, DeBock said, adding, quote, if you're building for the digital economy, you need to build a strong and safe infrastructure. What I really like about Async is that they are not rushing to launch a product that isn't ready. From DeBock's perspective, earlier waves of investment in the Bitcoin economy revolved around mining companies, then exchanges and wallet providers. But traditional firms like I'd invest were wary of the timing game required to make significant returns on projects that are still subject to the erratic whims of an immature market and an opaque regulatory climate. By contrast, he said investing in companies with a long-term focus on the application layer offers a more palatable opportunity. Quote, if Lightning lives up to its promise, it's going to relay a lot of transactions. When you relay a lot of transaction, there are always ways to make money, DeBach said. Jacques agreed that although Async's business model is still unclear, she sees it as one of the leading startups focused on the Lightning Network protocol. Quote, the Lightning Network will be where high volumes of transactions could develop in the future, so we wanted to be there with the infrastructure that will enable these transactions, end quote, she said. In a press statement, Serena partner Kamel Zural echoed his peers, explaining why a government bank would want to invest in developing layers of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Quote, in a context, uh, sorry, in a context of currency wars, man, I can't believe he actually just stated it, and negative interest rates, Bitcoin's value proposition, a free independent currency with an issuance policy set in its protocol, is impossible to ignore. All that it needs to achieve its goal is a sound, usable, scalability solution, end quote. The Series A brings Async's total funding up to $10 million. CEO Pierre-Marie Poudre 
told CoinDesk and will <clears throat> and will be used to grow the six-man team up to a dozen employees over the next year. Quote, we're very picky about the people we hire because it's very hard to find people with the right skills. We are looking for people, but we will take however long it takes, Padue told CoinDesk. Stepping back, Async has long been the quietest pillar of the Lightning startup trinity. With much of the community development spearheaded by Lightning Labs and Blockstream, both in Silicon Valley. Yet Async has its own Lightning implementation, Eclair, in addition to the Eclair mobile wallet and Strike, an application program interface for Lightning, which Padoo compared to the merchant payment processing provider Stripe. He also said that Eclair Lightning Wallet has garnered 15,000 downloads via Google Play since it launched in 2018. To date, Async operates the largest capacity Lightning node on the network, supporting over 1,000 channels. Blockstream engineer Rusty Russell told Coindesk he thinks such diverse implementations benefit end users since it's unclear how the network will evolve. Quote, I started working on Bitcoin because of a previous open source project, which made my career. Linux, <laughs> sorry, Linux that he's talking about. He was working on Linux and it made his career. And the one thing we learned from that journey is that we're not going anywhere we think we're going, Russell said, adding, quote, since we don't know where we're going, the more experimentation, the merrier. From my advantage point, async is helping with the standards process. They're absolutely equal partners. Their style is less flashy, but they are going to continue to be a major player in the space. And I expect great things to come. As for Async, Padue said his startup is focused on mobile devices and payments. Quote, it's important because maybe the protocol is the same, but we have different views on what we want to optimize more. It allows anyone to build software that fits their needs, he said. I'd invest debauch, said institutions can view Lightning as a broader application of Bitcoin's potential, a space ripe for more traditional equity deals. As such, async engineer Bastian Tinitura, I'm not going to pronounce that name right, told Coindesk that counting investors beyond crypto circles can benefit the entire industry. Quote, BPI France investing is an even bigger shift. Public institutions are acknowledging the importance of this technology and its future relevance. They aren't trying to shut it down. They aren't ignoring it either. They want to understand it and potentially work with it, he said. Although Tien Turier expressed gratitude for the public outreach done by the teams of Blockstream and Lightning Labs, like running community Slack channels, live demonstrations at conferences, his smaller team prefers to minimize its media exposure for the near future. We want to be able to offer a great UX for private, reliable instant payments that even your grandma could use, Tien Turier said, adding, quote, we're not there yet. And we want to make sure we can deliver on that promise before we spend time communicating about it. So, yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, bank throat get just ankle. You know, at this point, they're kind of ankle deep. You know, for that, they're getting in the they're getting in the swimming pool. It's gonna it's gonna happen. So it just takes time. Oh, my my good buddy. Actually, he's not my good buddy. We've never met, but I like Vlad Kostya. That he, he's a he's a good writer. He's a fun guy on Twitter, and he's he, he's open about a lot of stuff. So he writes for Bitcoin Magazine. I don't know if he writes for anybody else. I only see him on Bitcoin Magazine, but he's one of my favorite authors. On October the sixteenth, he wrote Transylvania Crypto Conference twenty nineteen. The transition to Bitcoin only. Yes, that's exactly where we should be going. So let's let's get into this. Um, there are several reasons why the Transylvania Crypto Con Conference was special. First of all, it was a premiere for Romania, a country that has never really held events that focus on Bitcoin, despite giving the space some prominent and eccentric figures such as ooh, Mercia Popescu and Bitcoin Magazine co-founder Mihai Elise. I am butchering those people's names, and I am very sorry about that. I mean no disrespect. I just can't pronounce those names. Continuing, second, its transition from a crypto conference in previous years to a Bitcoin-only event was rapid, smooth, and largely evident. For instance, Tom Trevithan's presentation titled In Defense of Blockchains turned out to be an advocation for Bitcoin sidechains, while Felix, Felix Christian 
CEO of payment processors Netopia cited Giacomo Zucco as the inspiration behind a last-minute title change as his driving crypto adoption presentation became driving Bitcoin adoption. <laughs> nice. Uh, although the three days of presentations and panel debates, altcoin-related discussions at the conference were kept to a bare minimum. For instance, trader, advocate, and content creator Tone Vays chose to focus on a thorough analysis of Bitcoin's unique qualities and and then proceed to conduct a comparative analysis with other altcoins only to demonstrate why Satoshi's cryptocurrency is still king. Researcher and academic Wasim Al-Sindi also emphasized the su generis qualities of Bitcoin as every other coin fell into the snowflake or shitcoin category. Snowflake. <laughs> the only moment when a strong anti-Bitcoin rhetoric came across happened during John McAfee's live stream presentation. The antivirus software pioneer has taken advantage of many occasions to promote altcoins, some of which strangely happened to go up in price shortly after his speech at TC Conf came to an end. At a time when coin joins and single-use addresses are becoming increasingly popular among Bitcoin users, McAfee's criticism seems obsolete, somewhat laughable, and possibly in induced by self-interest. Uh, and don't forget the fact, you know, probably bath salts, copious amounts of alcohol, and God knows what, what the hell that man smokes. But for a 70-year-old man doing that much uh, libations... I got to hand it to the guy. He's not dead and he actually looks like he's in good shape. So I don't know. Hats off to John, even though he is a shit coiner. Continuing on, McAfee forgot to mention technology such as the Lightning Network, the Liquid Sidechain, and Taproot, which effectively provide extra layers of confidentiality. TC Conf had its share of crypto of cyber, uh, cypher punkness ranging from Todd's presentation on dishonest developers to BTC socialist exposition of, of do-it-yourself Bitcoin ATMs and other hardware equipment to backs detailed explanations of Bitcoin programming via simplicity. RGB contributor and Storm lead developer Maxim Orlovsky explained how tokenization will happen on top of Bitcoin's layer two and Wasabi wallet lead developer Nopara73 a.k.a. Adam Fiskor, offered details on the future of coin joins while HODL HODL CEO Max Kaidun gave insights into the power of multisigs. On the trading and business side, Bitcoin, the future of money author Dominic Frisbee offered a crash course in observing market dynamics. Investor Max Hillebrand expressed his appreciation for all of the privacy weapons available in Bitcoin, and Vase presented convincing metrics that point to the inevitable death of shitcoins. God, I hope. I don't think that's going to happen, but I hope. The main discussion and clear highlight of the event took place at the end of the second day when Back, Vey, Zuko, Todd, Frederico, Tanga, Frisbee, Aslindi, Renegade Investor, oh God, and, and Nick Gregory debated their visions for the next 10 years of Bitcoin. Hosted by Mike Patel, this panel exceeded the time limit but never ceased to retain interest with insightful pearls of wisdom and visionary options that sounded idealistic or opinions that sounded idealistic yet feasible. And then there's a link to that entire discussion. BTC Socialist Lightning theme panel with Keto Miner, Nopara 73, Hillebrand, a bit refill, COO John Carvalho was a close second, but it put emphasis on great Lightning Network use cases such as RGB, Storm Watchtowers, and some potential integrations with Wasabi Wallet. Furthermore, there were more hum some humorous moments such as Keto Miner's How I Almost Made an ICO presentation, Theo Goodman's presentation on memes in the impromptu game show Toxic Shit Coins or Dystopia. From panels denouncing the limited understanding of regulators during the regulation uh, panel, all the way to Regal Walsh explaining the basics of physical security in Bitcoin, TC Conf had it all. The event turned out to be surprisingly well-balanced and satisfyingly Bitcoin-centric. It reflected a greater tendency of convergence toward the best form of money, which, thanks to its extra layers, is getting its fair share of bells and whistles that were formerly exclusive to altcoins. In December of 2018, Bitcoin Magazine announced its own exclusive focus on Satoshi's cryptocurrency and held its Bitcoin 2019 conference in June of 2019, just as BTC dominance skyrocketed during a short-lived bull market that took the king closer to the moon. It is only a matter of time until even more conferences catch up with the trend, and TC Conf has now served as a fine example of the merits of replacing crypto with Bitcoin. Yeah, damn skippy, y'all. Uh, I, I so want to go to this uh, 
to I, I want to go to this conference as much as I want to go to Riga. Probably not going to happen. That's a shit ton of money to fly across the Atlantic and then fly back. But one of these days, if I and, and I'm telling you right now, I hear Riga is a great place and it's a great conference, but I really want to go to Romania, freaking Transylvania. I I mean, I won't get into a paper I wrote about gothic novels and and Dracula and shit like that. But ever since I did write that paper been kind of fascinated with that area of the world, man. It's, and, and I see pictures from Romania, freaking beautiful country. And I'm, I'm pretty, I, I think Vlad lives there. I'm not sure. Uh, but if he does lucky man, man, because that is some beautiful country. All right, here we get into the death of Bitcoin. <clears throat> you want to guess who said it? Yeah, we'll just do it. Coindesk's William Foxley is writing this morning that Bitcoin has failed, but global stable coins a threat, say BIS and the G7. <laughs> You'd never, never ask a guy who sells, you know, horse-drawn carriages what they think about automobiles, All right? Because you're going to get that automobiles suck. So here we go. Bitcoin and other early cryptocurrencies have failed as an attractive means of payment or store of value, says a new report from G7 and the Bank of International Settlements. However, the October report argues that widely adopted asset-pegged cryptocurrencies or stablecoins such as Libra are a growing threat to monetary policy, financial stability, and competition. Widely adopted stablecoins, dubbed global stablecoins in the report, have the potential to reach an international audience and have significant adverse effects on the current economic system, it argues. Meanwhile, quote, first-generation cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin have suffered from highly volatile prices, limits to scalability, complicated user interfaces, and issues in governance and regulation, among other challenges. Thus, crypto assets have served more as a highly speculative asset class for certain investors and those engaged in illicit activities rather than as a means to make payments, end quote. Stablecoin taxonomy, defined as a money equivalent contractually or property claim, sorry, contractual or property claim or right against an issuer for an asset will remain a preeminent legal question for the time being the report continues. The effects of stable coins on incumbent money systems such as wire transfer have yet to be fully understood as well. While stable coins may offer faster, cheaper, or more inclusive payments, they can, quote, only be realized if significant risks are addressed, end quote. In a footnote, the G7 report says that the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, FINMA, handling of the Libra Association, which falls under the regulator's purview in Geneva, agrees with the G7 stablecoin recommendation, FINMA, recently said Libra highlights the need for international coordination and appropriate appropriate prudential requirements for all services offered over that of a payment system. The report on stablecoins was compared at the request of the G7 in July, soon after the launch of Libra back in June. Libra hasn't really launched, guys. While obviously directed in part of the as part of the project, the report only mentioned Libra in one footnote. Responding to the G7, the Libra Association sent out a memo Friday saying that saying the stablecoin is not intended to change the role and influence of central bankers, adding, quote, wallets and other financial services operating on the Libra network, including exchanges and other on and off ramps, will have to comply with regulations such as local capital controls, which can be tailored to prevent large scale flights from local currency to Libra coins in emerging markets. So he's, you know, Zuckerberg's response to the footnote or whatever was basically, we will bow down and do everything to lick your boots to a high sheen polish. That's what that means. We will do everything we can to make sure that we are, that we can tailor this to prevent your shitty currency from scaring the piss out of your entire population to the point that they want to get out. Marines, we are leaving. All right, let's let's get out of here. BlockFi introduces institutional services for digital assets. This is Landon Manning yesterday for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, 
<clears throat> BlockFi, a non-bank lender of crypto assets, has announced that it's opening a new platform for institutional investors. BlockFi Institutional Services is set to give market makers, funds, exchanges, and family offices access to enterprise-grade financing solutions for digital assets, according to the company. The drive to serve cryptocurrency investors with institutional options was inspired by BlockFi's own growth. Quote, we have been active in the market for over a year. Block 5 co-founder founder and CEO Zach Prince told Bitcoin Magazine, as the team and business grew, it made sense to formally announce and establish the group within BlockFi, headed up by Renee Van Kirsten, a veteran of the institutional investment sphere for over 20 years, including stints at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. <clears throat> the leadership for BlockFi Institutional Services comes from an institutional investment background rather than one from the crypto asset industry itself. Quote, we have a great relationship with our institutional partners and having a team with a background in traditional finance has helped to ensure there's a really seamless understanding of the needs in the space and how we can best accommodate them. Our institutional investor, uh, in, uh, 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 sorry, our institutional services team operates with the goal of helping these larger traditional financial institutions leverage digital currencies in the most flexible and profitable capacity. Digital currencies provide so many benefits at scale and making sure we're making them as practical as traditional financial assets is critical in helping both uh, consumers and financial institutions adopt them, said Prince. In a statement, Prince said that BlockFi's priority in the institutional space is to build a secure, best-in-breed platform for investors or institutions to work with BlockFi in a way that facilitates liquidity and growth of the ecosystem. Institutional clients can expect to benefit from the same client dedication and value delivery we show for our retail clients. Without providing a concrete timeline, BlockFi said that it will be rolling out its institutional products and services in the near future. It added that institutional clients will have their balances stored at Gemini, continuing an ongoing partnership between the two companies. Quote, at BlockFi, our goal has always been to offer a bridge between traditional finance and digital currencies. So whether we're serving individual investors or large financial institutions, our products fill the same critical gap in the world of cryptocurrencies. With that said, the impact of offering these solutions to institutions means we're helping the larger traditional financial ecosystem become more adapted to digital currencies. The core impact on this space should be increased liquidity and a more robust capital market. BlockFi expects to reveal additional details during an in-depth presentation at the Futures Industry Association Exposition in Chicago, being held from October 29th to the 31st, 2019. So they're going to end it on Halloween. What the hell is going on with financial stuff in Halloween? It's like they're it's like they're tied. And the, and the month the whole month of October has has a long and storied history with financial stuff. I. I don't know. Something about it's weird. Okay, let's see. What's, what else is up here? Nope. And... Oh, yeah. This is it. Async unveils its second-generation Bitcoin Lightning Network wallet. Now, this is this story doesn't build on, on the uh, October 8th uh, article that I read earlier about the uh, $8 million investment. But, dude, this is so... This ends up being really cool because we're, we're in 2G on Bitcoin uh, lightning stuff. So here we go. This is Jack Martin writing for Cointelegraph uh, this morning. French Bitcoin lightning network implementation developer Async introduced its second generation lightning wallet Phoenix via Twitter on October the 18th. A video accompanying the post demonstrates a number of wallet functions all accessed via a user-friendly interface. From a fresh install of the wallet app on an Android device, setting up a new wallet is a single click away. Although the new wallet has no open channels, it can still produce an LN invoice and receive funds. Freaking sweet. On receipt of an incoming transaction, the, op offers to, the app offers to set up a payment channel on the fly for a set fee. The user can accept the fee, avoiding incoming liquidity issues completely, or refuse the payment. Once the wallet is funded, Lightning Network payments can be made by scanning QR invoices and pressing pay. Phoenix is able to find payment routes without a routing table sync. God, that is so cool. Backing up the wallet simply creates a 12-word seed, which will restore the wallet on another device. The only thing lost in the process is the transaction history. Making a payment to a regular Bitcoin address alerts the user that the transaction will be a swap. The user must click to request the swap and then click pay once. 
the swap, uh, sorry, and then click pay once the swap and fee have been confirmed. All of the channel management and logistics of on and off-chain transactions are dealt with under the hood. Meanwhile, Async still intends to continue developing its original LN wallet, Eclair, for advanced users. Earlier this month, the company announced it had secured $8 million in funding from partners including a French state-owned bank. So, yeah, that that's that story that we were talking about earlier. So, uh, I, like, I kind of like the whole deletion of payment history. I, it would kind of be nice if you had that as a... I don't know, an internal button that you could push and then like enter in a pin and have it not brick your wallet, but delete all of your payment history. Just, I can't think of a reason, as many reasons why, as I can think of as in why you would want that as to why, or why you wouldn't want that as to why you would want that. I can go and cross a border and somebody's like, I would need to see your lightning history. Did, 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 did. Oh, look at that. You have no lightning history. I, I don't know. I think it would be kind of useful, but what, you know, whatever. Another wallet uh, story here. Blockstream Green Wallet adds early access Tor integration. This is David Hollerith writing for Bitcoin Magazine yesterday. Privacy and a clean UX design have often been at odds in cryptocurrency apps, but there's no reason why a Bitcoin wallet app can't have both. Blockstream's newest version, 3.2.4 of its Bitcoin wallet, Blockstream Green, is a legitimate step forward in combining these two attributes that have previously proven to be far more complex to deploy simultaneously. Within this newly updated version of the wallet is an optional in-app onion routing network integration for both Android and iOS users. Before this update, Android users could use Orbot as a proxy, but there wasn't a reliable way for iOS users to use Tor while accessing other apps. Using a VPN outside of the app worked, but it was proven unreliable, risking information leakage. Fundamentally, Tor obfuscates a user's IP address from the other information by sending it through a relay of another of other encrypted servers before it reaches the IP's intended destination online. To understand how this supports, uh, uh, to understand how this support impacts a Bitcoin user's wallet's privacy, Bitcoin Magazine spoke with Lawrence Nahum at Larry Bitcoin, creator of Blockstream Green's precursor Green Address, and now chief architect at Blockstream. "Quote: We are looking for something that was simple to use, where we could be certain that Tor would be running in the background at all time." The in-app Tor integration gives iOS users and Android users less hassle and more assurances of privacy and security. In simple terms, enabling Tor will mean that the Blockstream servers will continue to have information about the wallet, but will not know the wallet's user's IP address or what country they are connecting from. And it's not just Blockstream that cannot see where green wallet users are coming from by enabling Tor. Everyone in a user's network will be blinded to the fact that they are accessing a Blockstream green wallet. While this means more censorship resistance for wallet users, the use of Tor itself can still be an undesirable signal in some countries. Quote, you're still potentially leaking that you're using Tor, and that may be something you do or don't want to do, said Nehem, especially in some countries, which is why I think when Blockstream Green's developer team will need to be doubly careful when considering enabling Tor as a default Nahum, or Nahum, Nahum also noted that this feature does not hinder blockchain analysis any more than blocking IP addresses data that halt that hits the blockstream data server. God, I, man, I'm having it. This is this is one of my worst Fridays, guys. Nahum also noted that this feature does not hinder blockchain analysis any more than blocking IP address data that hits the blockstream servers. There are additional ways to hide an IP's connection to Tor, such as as using tunnels, bridges, and an additional VPN. Most of these solutions are more complicated for users new to Tor. They can also be less reliable in the case of VPNs. So, dude, that Tor right into the green wallet. So all, and and I'm, I'm flashing back to that whole Bitcoin has failed story that we did a couple of minutes ago because of, oh, it's, you know, it had lousy UX and all, and some other things and all this shit's being solved. If for those of you who are not old enough to remember the birth of credit cards for years, the way that you did a credit card transaction was the following. You went and had dinner. You got the bill. You took the bill 
or actually my dad, because I was tiny kid, right? Long time ago. Dad or mom or whatever takes the bill and the credit card up to the thing and they had a credit card cruncher. So they'd put the credit card in. They would take out a, uh, a piece of paper that had one piece of paper on the top, a carbon copy sheet, or like a sheet of carbon that was in between that and another sheet of paper. They would write all the information about the bill, like how much you were going to leave for a tip, how much the total was, how much the actual dinner was. And then they'd put it in there. Now, mind you, there's people waiting behind you in line to also pay their bill with a credit card and or check, right? They'd put it in there and then they'd crunch it. They'd, they'd run a roller across the top of it so that the imprint of the credit card would take up the carbon or that the, the paper, it, the paper would actually use the imprinted numbers of the credit card to imprint not only the original sheet on the top, but also the copy that was on the bottom. All right. Then they give you your credit card back and then you'd sign the whole damn thing. And then they'd give you the top copy and they would keep the bottom copy. And then they would send that in to the bank at the end of the month. And it wouldn't be processed until the month after that. That went on for years before we got swiping technology, which is actually, when you think about it, has not been out as long as, clearly has not been out as long as credit cards. But I'm still trying to wrap my head around everybody yelling about how the UX is so fucking terrible. It's not all that bad, guys. It's not, it's not any worse now than it was at the birth of credit cards. So somebody please tell me why Everybody's losing their ever-loving mind about UX, especially when we're reading stories like this and the, and the, and the async wallet. This is, this is going to happen, guys. You don't have to worry about it all that much. And if for people that are around you saying, oh, the UX, the UX, figure out something in your past that sucked ass. Like, I don't know, the interface of a, of a, a famous video game series, franchise or even the interface of... A, a gaming console, how it used to suck and it do, and it no longer sucks. You can find those examples in your life. So I charge you at this point to go find those examples in your life and make the make sure that you've got them in your back pocket. So when some idiot comes up and says something, blah blah blah, Bitcoin UX sucks, death of Bitcoin, you can go. Remember when this sucked? Remember when that sucked? Remember how that changed? Remember how this over here changed? Remember how shit got better, but it wasn't overnight and it wasn't like um, so immediate that you were finally placated because your time preference is that in the shitter. If your time preference is that in the shitter, you need to get out, get, get exit, exit all crypto because you can't take it. In fact, exit all tech, all tech. So, there, there, ah, sorry, ranting, ranting. Um, okay, we're going to get into just a couple more. I'm not going to read these all, but you need to know that Binance hikes leverage to 125x for launch of Bitcoin Tether futures. Um, no, this one, this one, I, I'm, I'm going to read because this is, it's important to understand because 125x leverage, you're going to get wrecked. I mean, if you really know what you're doing, sure, go ahead. But please, with the love of God, anybody who's thinking about trading and you don't know how or you're just learning, stay away from stay away from Binance futures, man. Because at, at that 125x, just that seems seems bad. The cryptocurrency exchange first announced its futures platform in early July at the time, hinting it would allow 20x leverage. Now, futures traders can choose to leverage positions between 1x and 125. Quote, we have seen an increase in institutional participation in trading and they are flocking to Binance futures, said CZ in a statement. 
The market has been demanding a product with superior stability and performance. Now we are providing one. Max leverage positions on Binance now exceed crypto exchanges BitMEX futures leverage positions, which top off at 100x for some contracts. Noted economist and crypto skeptic Noriel Rubini has previously argued that in providing such high leverage, exchanges are exposing, trader, exposing traders to too much risk. Binance said its BTC futures contracts provide a built-in hedging tool to help traders manage that risk. Further, the exchange said it's providing an insurance fund <laughs> that helps to limit the chances of auto deleverage. The announcement comes amidst tightening competition in the Bitcoin future space. Intercontinental Exchange backs future, uh, Bitcoin futures exchange launched this September, although the exchange's initial volume disappointed critics. The exchange has already conducted its first block trade with two institutional investors. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not often, but I agree with Noriel right here, man. It's unacceptable, unacceptable to allow people that have the, the potential to wreck themselves to death, the ability to go to 125X with a simple slider. And I'm not lying, man. I'm looking at a picture of the interface right now, and it's like a, it's a dialog box that comes up with adjust leverage. And there's a slider that literally goes from 1X all the way to the right side, which is 125X. Oh, man, I don't know. Like I said, it's not often, but here I agree with Noriel Rubini. Okay, also here at the last, uh, Telegram is bitching and moaning about uh, the SEC shutting them down. Clearly, you knew it was going to happen, but they're saying that the Graham tokens are not securities. However, they have voluntarily... They are voluntarily not going to uh, do this thing. They're going to follow the instructions of the SEC for the time being. So the, here comes the war or here here comes the litigation is what's going to happen. They're going to end up in court or they're going to end up going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about this. So who knows if if this thing will come out, if ever, you know, it, it doesn't really matter because it's just another shit coin. Uh, and that Bitcoin, here, here's another one. This is William Suberg for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin has reached 40% of the average fiat currency lifespan. So interesting, right? Interesting. So like average fiat dies in 27 years. This is according to Willy Wu. And Bitcoin is already, you know, 10, 11 years, between 10 and 11 years old. So it's already 40% to that 27 years. So I'm sure the argument will come out of, of people saying that the average fiat does not die in 27 years, that it's more like 100. I don't know. You know, I, I'm going with a lot less than that. I, I, I mean, I'm going with, I, I think average fiat dies in, I'm going to say 35 years. I'm going to say the average is 35. Fiat is, a, is the ultimate shit coin. <laughs> Just get out of it. Anyway, there's, there's your morning roundup. Vitals. We have Bitcoin price at sub 8,000. It's hovering around 7,941. Looks like we got, uh, let's see, where's our low? That's our high. Our low is going to be over at, yeah, Bitstamp at 7,912. Not a lot of spread. But 350,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours. Man, there's been a lot of activity today. About 14,500 uh, transactions are being made uh, on average per hour. And one we're finally over 1 million uh, BTC being traded hands at 1.12 million BTC being traded hands in the last 24 hours with about 46,600 BTC being changed or uh, exchanged per hour. The average transaction value is 3.2 BTC and the median is 0.026 or around 200 bucks. Block time's really low, 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, 0.16 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis. 27 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We are almost back to 100 exahashes per sec uh, second with an increase of 5% in the last 24 hours of hash rate. We are at 
exahashes per second. And the last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 172, Bcash is at 212, Litecoin is at 53, BSV is at 90, Ethereum Classic is at 4.5, Dogecoin has got a huge bump, man, 0.0028. And at 26,000 transactions, it's still smoking Litecoin. So there you go. Now, I'm going to introduce this one only for a while. Only for a little while because the um, 18 millionth Bitcoin is about to be mined sometime this week. So by the time this show comes around on Monday, uh, probably not going to do this. But this is buybitcoinworldwide.com forward slash how many Bitcoins are there with hyphens in between the words. So how many Bitcoins are there? Well, the Bitcoins left to be mined are 3,775,000 or 85.7% of all the Bitcoins that can be mined. So the total Bitcoin in existence is 17,999,225. So the 18 millionth Bitcoin will be mined sometime before Monday, unless all hell breaks loose. Okay, mempool is light. We're only, oh no, the mempool just became unlight. I just refreshed it and it went from one block deep to eight blocks deep from the time that I set the show up and started push record to now. And that's been what? 49 minutes. (laughs) How shit can change. Okay, we have 13,500 unconfirmed transactions, eight blocks deep in the mempool. And all of the blocks that I'm seeing right now are full. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Lightning Network next. This is 1ml.com forward slash statistics. We have new, we have 10 new nodes in the last 24 hours, representing a 42% increase on a day-over-day average, but a 6% decrease in new channels formed. We only have 103 new channels. The number of nodes are 10,186, representing a 2.66% increase increase in the last 30 days. Uh, So there you go. There's your vitals. Okay. So last uh, Wednesday, you got a dose of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Now at the time that that particular album was coming out, Stevie Ray Vaughan was getting a lot of notoriety. He was, he was getting famous And in Texas, he was already pretty famous, but his name started reaching out around the world. And, you know, one of his, um, in case you didn't know, his brother, Jimmy Vaughn, also played, or and I don't know if they're still together or not, but for a long time, that was the fabulous Thunderbirds, was Stevie Ray Vaughn's older brother, Jimmy. So they were, I mean, he, the guys come from a pretty musical family. Well, Stevie was getting real famous. And in fact, he was getting so famous that his name reached beyond the borders of Texas and beyond the borders of the United States into British territory and was uh, heard on the ears of David Bowie. Now, David Bowie cut an album that had, he, he basically was in the middle. He was about to start making an album. He was kind of in the middle of the planning stages of of one of his fame, most famous albums. And he wanted Stevie Ray Vaughan to be the guitar player on that album on a cut on. I'm pretty sure more than a few songs, but that, and, and it happened. Stevie Ray Vaughan ended up playing with David Bowie on the let's dance album. And it stunningly good, but Stevie said of that collaboration later on in his life before he died that he will never work with that, quote, British gentleman, end quote, ever again. And for (laughs) he must have really been biting his tongue on that one because David Bowie was sort of a son of a bitch when it came to, to things. But in either event, this is Let's Dance. And keep in mind, Stevie Ray Vaughan is playing guitar for David Bowie.
to do it to you guys but there is gonna be no daily train wrecked today sorry but i gotta go i I gotta pretty much finish this up i gotta skedaddle get to a parent teacher conference uh for my little girl um see how things are going um although i do have a dad's joke for you because those are always fun especially when we have a prize drop i work in security and I want to get a pumpkin for my desk. It'll be my security gourd. Get it? Gourd? <laughs> Why that one? Because of the whole pumpkin fiasco. Man, pumpkin lady is everywhere. Look, guys, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that woman is a joke, okay? I don't, I don't like Craig. He's a fraud. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a thief. Okay, and everybody he associates with is also the same because, you know, birds of a feather and all that. But people who are hailing that chick as somebody who's like, she's not speaking for me because I am not that dumb. That was the, I don't know where the whole pumpkin tomato super farm, I don't know what she was going for with that. It, but it was ridiculous. Guys, please, I am not praising this woman. She's a lunatic. I also looked at her bio. She also she says that she consults for Interpol, you know, the international police. So I'm I'm kind of I don't know. And I I just the whole pumpkin thing. Let let it go. And here's another reason why to let it go. Not just because she's an idiot. It's because it's giving more attention to Craig. I've seen more about Craig in the last 48 hours than I have seen in the in the past three weeks. If every time this shit happens, because this, this shit happened at the same time, in the same conference, right, that you got Tone Vays in all those pictures. They are using anything that they can to push Craig back into the public eye, and it's working. Keep that in mind. They're doing this to Bitcoin and we're allowing it to happen. I mean, even I'm talking about it, but at least, at least I'm calling this woman out for being a complete idiot. I mean, if you were trying to insult Craig, calling him a pumpkin farmer was probably the worst or not worse, but probably the least insulting thing that, I mean, there's lots of pumpkin farmers that make a shit ton of money, especially around Halloween. Hell, they're, their entire operation is grown around one freaking crop, a pumpkin. You know how much, like I saw somebody bitching on Twitter yesterday. You know how much a pumpkin sells for in New York City? 12 bucks. Here they sell for five. And this is Texas. We grow pumpkins out the ass down here. So call them a pumpkin farmer as an insult. 
I'm not really sure how that goes, but whatever. Stop talking about him. Stop talking about her. Let them all just go away and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.